When Jessica was 13, she knew exactly the kind of guy she wanted. So she made a list. The perfect guy. Hair spiked with tips frosted with almost... (laughs) With almost any color, not red. Eyes changed with mood. Happy, bright blue, sad, sky blue, confused, turquoise, angry, dark navy. (laughs) Lips, full, shoulders, sturdy and strong. Arms, muscular, stomach, six pack of abs, optional, could be eight, LOL. (laughs) That's Jessica reading about her perfect guy. I'm Dan Meisner, and this... This right now is grown-ups read things they wrote as kids. How are you doing? It is very nice to see you. This is a show where we go back in time to remember the good, the bad, and the awkward parts of growing up. This time, recorded live in the Crystal Ballroom at the Walper Hotel in Kitchener, Ontario, we have true pioneer facts, letters to the future, a love poem that involves fish food, and much more. This stuff is weird, it is wonderful, and kind of like Frosted Tips, we're not always proud of it. So think about who you were when you were a kid, and stick around. When Chandra was 11, she decided to write a letter to herself three years in the future, outlining her hopes and dreams and expectations, and she kept doing this throughout her teenage years. At our Kitchener show, Chandra read three of these letters to her future self, written at 11, 14, and 17. A quick heads up, Chandra's letters do include some cuss words, which we do not bleep. I wrote this when I was 11. January 27th, 1996. My expectations for when I am 14. One, I will be very smart, pretty, and athletic. Two, I will make junior nationals for swimming. Three, I will have not had my first XXXX until I'm 15. And that stood for kiss because I was afraid my sister would read it. Four, I will be excellent at math, French, and gym and all other subjects. Five, I will be a straight-A student. Sincerely, Chandra, age 11. This was written when I was 14. Tuesday, July 21st, 1998. Expectations for when I am 17. One, must be smart, attractive, and athletic. (laughs) Two, must have made finals at nationals. Three, beat Jackie C at swimming. I was a swimmer. Four, had first XXX by 15. Five, won't have sex until 21. And I made a little diagram because I was too afraid to write the word sex. (laughs) Uh, Six, had first boyfriend at 14 and three quarter years old. Seven, plan to get scholarship to the US. Eight, still be friends with Carly in Dallas. Nine, have a driver's license and own a car. 10, must have French someone by 16. 11, I'm embarrassed by this, gorgeous body. 12, be admired by all. 13, must listen to people, be funny, 
playful, happy, and confident. 14, be liked by everyone and not be annoying. 15, met Leonardo DiCaprio. Remember Titanic? 16, must have a great loving boyfriend. 17, been on jet scream at Canada's Wonderland. 18, been to California. 19, wear makeup that looks good. 20, dated all guys, jock, nerd, sleek, charming, bad boy, nice, etc. Hey you, it's me. I'm being really dumb right now, writing a letter to myself for me to open in the future. It'll be cool, I guess. So Chandra, you're 20, the big 2-0. You're not a teenager anymore. That's kind of sad, because I'm a teenager right now. I'm 16, and when you read this, you'll be thinking of the day when you wrote this. I know you, you'll be sad. Well, I wish great things for you. Have you had sex? Probably. I don't know. Right now I'm saying I'm gonna wait till I'm in love, but what if you've already fallen in love? You whore. <laughs> Just kidding. You're probably a sex maniac in university. Ha, huh, that'd be fun. So, I hope you're at McMaster studying science, and I hope you have a great hot boyfriend that I've never even met yet. That's weird. I have a job at Winners, which is great, but I don't get any hours. Stupid. I make $7.40 an hour, which is so good. More than, more than most kids my age. So, this year was so great, but it had its downfalls. First, I had four semi-happy months dating Jordan. He's now a fucker to me, but oh well. He screwed me over, and I'm glad he's out of my life. He was my first kiss and stuff. Of course, you remember this perfectly. It was an exciting time in your life. Except I'm writing this now while things are still fresh and you'll probably never experience this again. It's just a distant memory to you. You'll probably still run into him at the YMCA. I hope you get along and talk because right now he hates me and calls me a psycho. So anyway, have a great birthday. I love you and I hope you have a great life. July 7, 2001, 4.14 p.m., Chandra, age 16. Thank you. If you buy Chandra a drink at the break, she might show you the diagram she drew. <laughs> One of the things I love about kid writing is the authority and conviction some kids have, their ability to write with confidence about subjects that they don't really have any actual expertise in. When Jennifer was in elementary school, she wrote a series of short stories called Pioneer Children Life. And as the name suggests, these stories are all about what it was like to be a young person exploring and settling a new country. Pioneer Children Life. Stories with true facts to go with them. <laughs> Be brave. One day a girl named Mabel was walking home from school when she heard a cry for help. The more children, they must be caught in a fire. So she ran to their house to save them. She found them huddling together at the end of the field. They were all huddling together close by the well. Then Mabel said, get in the well. 
So they did. And when Mrs. Moore came home, she was relieved that her children were safe. The end. Here, here are the facts. Back then, there were lots of droughts. The droughts caused fires. Now we don't have many fires because we have smoke detectors. But we still have many droughts. Wildflowers. Please buy some wildflowers, said a poor voice. Mr. Wizzle turned around. Buy some flowers, I will, said Mr. Wizzle. Where's your parents? My father's dead and my mother went off with another man, replied the girl. <laughs> What's your name, asked Mr. Wizzle. My name is Karen, answer she answered. Well, come with me, said Mr. Wizzle. Why, asked Karen. I'm going to find you a home. Okay? Okay, said Karen. Mr. Wizzle took Karen to an orphanage. Mr. Wizzle came to visit the orphanage with his son a lot. And when they were old enough, Mr. Wizzle's son and Karen got married, and they adopted three girls from the orphanage. The girls' names were Carrie, Barry, and Terry. The end. <laughs> Here are the facts. What happened to Karen happened to a lot of other pioneer children, too. And back then, there weren't many orphanages. But now, that doesn't happen as much because we have more orphanages and more people care about the health and treatment of children. <laughs> Almost. One day, a little girl named Elizabeth was walking with her mother when, bang, her mother was shot. <laughs> Elizabeth ran and didn't stop running until she was in the safe arms of her father. What's wrong, he asked. Elizabeth started crying, and when she was finally settled down and had told her dad the story, the sheriff and his men were there. They told Elizabeth that the person that got shot wasn't her mother. It was someone who wanted a kid like her. Then all of a sudden, her mother walked in. Elizabeth ran over to her and told her her story, and then the sheriff explained it. Here are the facts. <laughs> There were many, there were many kidnappers back then because so many children died. There aren't many kidnappers now because we have a jail. Thank you. Jennifer, ladies and gentlemen, grown-ups read things they wrote as kids cannot guarantee the factual accuracy of any of those pioneer facts. Poetry is always popular at Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote as Kids, and our next reader, Moody, brought a piece of poetry he wrote when he was in grade six or seven. It's called The Night Angel, and as you'll hear, it's a poem about love, pain, and a pet fish. Live on stage in Kitchener, here's Moody. The Night Angel. It was a glorious night. I fed my fish and heard a sweet voice. I rushed to the wind to see, wherever could it be? The voice was sweeter than sugar and softer than a flower. It made me feel just wonderful that I forgot all my sorrows. From the window, I saw an angel, beautiful from head to toes. Her eyes were like a crystal. Her face was like a rose. <laughs> I ran away from the window, out the door to meet her. She threw a flower to me. I dashed for it before it touched the ground. I didn't realize I was crossing the street. Just when I had caught the flower, her car knocked me to the ground. <laughs> I was in the hospital when I came round. <laughs> the crash blinded me, but my heart could still see 
clearer than an eagle's eye, the woman who threw a rose at me. I came home to my house with bandages around my eyes. I saw my room, but in black and white. I heard my fish gulping for food. <laughs> As I walked towards the sound, I stepped on paper. I picked it up and piled it with all my unread letters. I walked to the cabinet and took out the fish food. It slipped away from my hand. On hands and knees, I searched. As I touched the can, it rolled away more. Soon I was tripping over the table and then the chair. The table and the chair suddenly came to life and they started to attack me. As the chandelier banged my head, what a painful discovery. Then I saw the angel. She put a sparkle in the sky and a happy thought in my heart. Everything returned to normal, I thought. She took the fish food to the fish tank, smiled and fed the fish, but I was wrong. She gave me some fish food instead. When I opened my hands, I saw a fish inside. Magic was in the air. <laughs> we had fun playing with the fishes. My anger turned into happiness. When the angel went away, a flower was left in my hand. Finally, the hour had arrived for my blindfold to come off. In front of me, I saw the angel, but, it was she, she, but she was really my nurse. <laughs> I went home in despair, and I found my true love there. So I asked her to marry me, and we lived happily ever after. <laughs> Thank you. One of the most powerful things about writing is how it can be an outlet for feelings and emotions that you don't quite know how to process, whether that's love or pain or, in the case of our next reader, grief. When Melinda was 18, her mother passed away. And at our Kitchener show, Melinda shared two short blog posts from that time. Here she is. One last hug. On April 4th, 2010... My mom passed away at home. Her face was a mere half meter away from mine as she died in my dad's arms. As we laid her back down, my dad and my aunt realized she wasn't breathing and that her heart had stopped. We called her siblings, her mom and my sister. We wanted people to have a chance to see her before calling the ambulance. In the time between my initial reaction and when the police and emergency medical services came, all I could feel was an overwhelming sense of comforting love. It was like having a really long hug with someone with whom you're very comfortable. In February, my mom told me three things. I love you. I'm proud of you. Do what makes you happy. That intense feeling of love following her death was like the embodiment of those three things in the form of one last hug. I'll always love you and cherish the time we had together, Mom. Melinda. April 22nd, 2010. Same day. My mom told me in November that my Aunt Angela, her sister, thought of me as my mom's heart. 
I'm still trying to figure out what that means. At the time, I asked my mom what it meant. She said that she supposed it meant I was closest to her. It's true that I have been, especially over the last few years. I am the baby of the family, and my siblings are older than me by a fair bit. Enough for it to feel like I was an only child for a few years before my brother came back to live at home. I feel like I'll spend the rest of my life figuring out what it means to be my mom's heart. On the topic of my mom's heart, I really hope to find her jade heart necklace that she used to wear all the time until recently when the clasp broke. She was meaning to get it repaired. In February, she told me she wanted me to have it. We looked in several places, but no luck. I guess my project for the summer is to go through everything in the house and putting things aside for her celebration of life in August, putting things in bags to give away, and looking for that necklace. Hug and kiss, Mom. After the show, Melinda called in to reflect on why she wrote those blog posts. I wrote five posts on that first day, and I wrote them because I was I knew I was writing for future me, because I knew that my memories would start fading over time. So I really wanted to remember. And... Um, And I really needed someone to talk to because I didn't really have anyone to talk to about that stuff and just felt really alone. So I wrote that blog to feel less alone and and feel like someone was reading my thoughts and could maybe relate to my emotions. I've been through a lot since then. and I haven't had my mom through it all. I've done a couple degrees in school. I've gotten jobs. I've got married. I went through a separation. So, so I've had to do adult things and grow up without my mom. So if I could go back and talk to 18-year-old me, I would say, you'll figure it out that you won't be alone. There'll be lots of people. And what I needed to hear most then, which was really just those three things that my mom told me. I love you. I'm proud of you. And do what makes you happy. And, um, yeah. I, I need to remind myself of that every now and then, I guess. <laughs> Melinda told me that a couple months after she wrote those blog posts, she found her mom's jade necklace. She had it repaired, and now Melinda keeps it in a box on her dresser. When Meredith was 10, she wrote a short story for school. And just before our Kitchener show, I asked Meredith what her story was about. She said, 
witches. Please welcome Meredith to the Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote as Kids stage. My story is called Wednesday the Worst Witch. In your city or town, there live witches. Your best friend could even be a witch. No, really, it's true. There's no way of knowing if ladies are witches or not. If, <laughs> if funny things happen to you, like when you float above your bed three feet, you could very well be a witch. <laughs> Don't tell anyone or you'll regret it. <laughs> Don't make the mistake that little Wednesday made a long time ago in the little town of Bougainberry. <laughs> it was a rotten stormy day and Wednesday the witch was in her house looking out the window at the houses and empty streets. Bougainberry was a small town that wasn't busy at all. Of course, Wednesday didn't know she was a witch. She didn't know anything about cauldrons or spell books. She thought she was a normal girl. Wednesday lived with her grandma. Her grandma was also a witch, but Wednesday didn't know. She often saw her grandma putting weird things in a big black pot, such as bird beaks and snake scales. <laughs> they always had weird things for their meals, too, but she ate it. It was the only thing she was fed. <laughs> One night, Wednesday was at her house when her grandma called her for dinner. Wednesday and her grandma usually had lots to talk about. That night, there was nothing to talk about. Wednesday's grandma wanted to tell her that she was a witch for a long time, but she could never find the right moment. She decided that this was the right moment. <laughs> Wednesday said, Grandma, there's no easy way to tell you this. You're a witch. <laughs> Wednesday had her mouth wide open and her eyes were as big as tennis balls. I'm a witch, she said in shock. Yes, said her grandma. You can't start learning about witchcraft too early, so after dinner, I'll teach you how to turn frogs into birds and how to use your spell book. I have a spell book, said Wednesday. Uh, of course, said Grandma. I've saved it over the years just for you. It was your mother's. Wednesday had so many questions, she thought her head was going to explode. The first one to come out was, how did my mother die? <laughs> well, said her grandma, your mother, your mother, oh, it's so sad, I can hardly tell you. Please tell me, protested Wednesday. All right, I'll tell you, said her grandma in a low voice. <laughs> Your mother was killed by goblins, green goblins with long fingers and snouts the size of pencils. <laughs> Why did goblins kill mother, wondered Wednesday. Oh, it was a little misunderstanding. <laughs> Voldemort, the head goblin, <laughs> said your mother didn't pay enough money for her witch license. <laughs> Voldemort had a horrible anger problem. <laughs> A little misunderstanding, as I said before. <laughs> Wednesday chatted with her grandma for a while, and then she helped her grandma with the dishes. After Wednesday cleaned up, she started her lesson in witchcraft. In the next hour, she learned how to change a plain old chicken bone into a delicious buffalo meat delight. <laughs> she, <laughs> she also learned how to turn her school bully into a frog with a few words. Bear with me. Orpus, porpus, hiliorpus, ilio, alio... Magnetus Magnifico. <laughs> Poff, the bully, was a frog. <laughs> the next morning, Wednesday decided to tell all her friends she was a witch. Of course, she didn't know that if you tell a mortal you're a witch and they believe you, then you'll be banished. When Wednesday got to school, she went to the playground. She found her friend, Samantha. What's up, Wednesday, said Samantha. Nothing much, hee hee. I have something to tell you. <laughs> 
I'm a witch. Yeah, right, nice joke, said Sam. No, I'm not kidding, I have proof, Wednesday said fast. She pointed at a boy, and with a snap of her fingers, he lifted him up into the air and set him down on the monkey bars. I believe you, said Sam, in a shaky voice. Get away. <laughs> Five seconds after, Voldemort appeared. <laughs> he pointed one bony finger at Wednesday, and she disappeared from the mortal realm forever. <laughs> Nowadays, Wednesday is living in the netherworld. <laughs> she, can, she can never come back to this realm ever again. So if you're a witch and no one knows, remember, capital letters, don't tell anyone. <laughs> or you'll be banished just like Wednesday. The end. Thank you. Our next reader, Debbie, is going to share some entries from the journal that she kept in elementary school. This was a private journal that she kept just for herself. And I asked Debbie, is there anything tying these journal entries together? Is there sort of an overarching theme? And she said, boys, 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 boys. Please welcome Debbie to our stage. October 23rd, 1991. Dear Dury, sorry I didn't write to you in so long. I was so very busy. Guess what? I'm in love. His name is Travis. He is very nice. He likes me, too. He sends me lots of notes. I love him. He loves me. I'm very happy. I am 10 now, and Mom and Dad expect me to do everything, like wash the dishes, clean my room, clean off the table, sweep the floors, vacuum, mop them. <laughs> Ever since we built an extension to your house, I had to do almost everything. Confused and happy, Debbie. <laughs> October 24th, 1991. The next day. Dear Dury, I found out that Travis has been writing love notes to Tanya. <laughs> That made me feel very sad because I thought he only liked me. Oh, well. But I will do everything to get him back. Dury, I hope to be 13 soon so I will be very pretty. Then Travis will notice me. Our bird died a few weeks ago. It was very sad for us. Yours completely ignored, Debbie. October 26, 1991. Dear Dury, I'm being ignored very much. None of my friends will play with me. It is getting very boring for me. Dad said I couldn't have a boyfriend. I don't listen to him. <laughs> Stephen and Travis said, Debbie, don't listen to your dad if he says that. So I just said, okay. <laughs> Yours almost ignored, Debbie. May 10th, 1992. Dear Diary. 
Sorry, I haven't written in you for a long time. This month is hard on me. Travis went back to the orphan thing again. Everybody ignores me. I don't know what to do. I need help, but I don't know where to get it. It's getting so bad that Kristen pulled my dress up in front of the class and grade ones and twos. I was really humiliating. What can I do? Travis always knew I missed him. Yours always, Debbie. October 3rd, 1993. Dear diary, guess what? I have a boyfriend. He's 14 years old. His name is David. I met him at camp. He is totally dreamy, honest. He's short like me. He wears glasses. He has sort of sandy blonde hair, hazel eyes. I'm telling you, he is dreamy. I went on my first date with him. We watched the movie instead of dancing because mom and dad don't want me to dance. And David's a klutz. Diary, do you believe people falling in love at first sight? I do. It happened to me. Totally happy and in love. Debbie. Thank you. That is grown-ups read things they wrote as kids. Our show was recorded live at the Walper Hotel in Kitchener, Ontario, and produced by Jenna Meisner. Olivia Nashmi is our associate producer. Our music is by Poddington Bear and Lullatone. And our closing theme is Oh Dear Diary by Sloan. Now that you've heard grown-ups read things they wrote as kids, why not watch, too? Just search for grown-ups read things they wrote as kids on Facebook and then like our page. That way, daily videos will show up in your feed. Just search for grown-ups read things they wrote as kids on Facebook and like our page. I'm Dan Meisner. Thanks for listening.